Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Maybe I'll have, uh, Andy, if you would just open the meeting in a word of prayer. And after that, Brother Dave, we'll turn the ministry time over to you. Okay. Father, once again, we thank you this morning that we could uh, utilize the technology available to us while some are, are not feeling well. We pray for those that uh, who, who have and may have come down uh, with this illness, that you just keep your hand over them, watch over them, um, and uh, be the great physician that you are um, in, in caring for them. Father, now as we uh, turn the, the meeting over to our brother Dave, um, we ask that the words that you have given him this morning be encouraging to our hearts and uh, strengthening to our minds as we uh, listen to them and take them in. We pray that uh, you would just uh, use us and the message that he's bringing uh, in our daily lives that we might share it with those around us, Father. And for all these things, we thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the invitation. And a week ago, I was planning on driving up and being with you in person, which would have been one of the first times I've done that in um, probably uh, once or twice in the past year. Um, so it's good to be with you through this technology. Let's take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. And I want to share some thoughts with you that I've been thinking about for a while, and it's on the subject of evangelistic praying. Evangelistic praying. We think often of praying, praying for people's needs, uh, praying for those that are sick, uh, praying for so many different situations. Um, but I want to think with you this morning about how to pray evangelistically, and what does the Bible say about that? And um, I'm going to begin with sharing some thoughts on prayer itself. And then we want to shift over to five passages uh, of which the Bible speaks about praying evangelistically, what we can do. Um, we can be shut up at home, and we can be unwell, but if we're able to pray, we can pray uh, evangelistically, uh, specifically uh, what Scripture teaches us about praying for those uh, that are lost and praying evangelistically. So we want to do that. We want to begin with uh, chapter 5 and verse 16, uh, the second half of, of the verse, which is very familiar to us all. It's, um, it's, uh, it starts off and it says, the fervent, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. And uh, I think as I read that from the King James translation, sometimes we know it so, so much, we're so familiar with it that sometimes these words and just escape us. But I just want to point out one thing. The word effectual means powerful. The powerful. Prayer is powerful. The powerful, fervent prayer, zealous prayer of a righteous man. And the picture we have here is of Elijah praying so it would not rain. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we need to be reminded that our prayers uh, are powerful. Our prayers accomplish um, much. Someone said, I think it was Bill McDonald, 
in one of his books, he says, prayer is the only time, is one of the times that we, um, we can take on the attribute of omnipotence and also omnipresence. We can pray in the Lord's name for someone on a mission field. I can pray for Lanny here uh, an hour away. And that prayer can be fervent. That fervent prayer can be effectual, can be powerful without me being there personally, without me uh, having any ability. I, through the power of prayer, through God's working, and through the fact that it's powerful, that uh, we, can, we can affect things. We can make changes. Um, the, the Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. And so prayer is powerful. Prayer is effectual. Prayer is important. And prayer can make a difference in our, our gospel work and evangelistic work and uh, those that we care about and those that we pray for. I want to think about a number of passages of pr about prayer and, and just encourage our hearts a little bit about the whole work of praying one for another and also praying for those who are doing evangelistic work throughout the world. You go through scripture and you see so many wonderful passages uh, about different ones who've prayed and how God has worked on their behalf. And I think one thing that I've been convicted of is the fact that I've been a little bit too lax. I've been a little bit too casual uh, in prayer. Uh, there's a passage, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn to it. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You're probably familiar a little bit with the passage. Uh, it says there, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, or of first importance, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made. Now, that word supplication is the word to cry out. It's the word to have strong emotion about our prayers. We understand what the word intercession means. We understand what the word giving thanks means. We understand what the word praying for someone means. But the word supplications, we are supplicating. We are, there's urgency. There's, uh, there's heartfeltness in our prayers as we come to the Lord in prayer. The idea of crying out, having strong feelings and emotions about our prayers. And I think this is a very, very important thing. And in this passage, it says, I exhort you. Paul's saying, I exhort you that you pray. And he says that, first of all, of first importance, this is a very important thing that we do. As we gather together corporately, it's a very important thing that we do, that we pray. And um, I want to also point your attention to another verse. Feel free to turn to it if you'd like. It's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 19. This verse is a great conviction, brought a great conviction in my life, because I begin to see how Daniel prays. And this is true of many people in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus in chapter 2, it says, uh, it says, the children of Israel groaned under the taskmasters, and they cried out to God, groaning unto God. And I like what it says in that verse, chapter 2, verse 23. It says, and the Lord heard them. They groaned, they cried out to God, and God heard them. This passage, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse, verse 19, the context of this chapter is that the 70 years of, of the captivity has passed, is about to pass. 
And uh, Daniel, reading the book of Jeremiah, understands this. He doesn't sit back and say, well, God's going to complete his, his promise, so I'm just going to wait until he does it. It's interesting in Scripture, uh, that doesn't, that, that's how we think a little bit. God promised he's going to do X at a certain particular time in history, so it's going to, it's going to happen. But what Daniel does is he prays. He prays that that will come to pass, even when we have a promise of God, whatever it may be in our lives. And we see a promise in Scripture. Uh, we still need to pray. But notice chapter 9 of Daniel and verse 19. Um, I have to confess, I don't pray like Daniel prayed. And Daniel, even though it was a promise of God, Daniel cried out to God uh, in such a unique way. Look what it says in verse 19. I'm reading from the King James translation. O Lord, listen and act. Is that a powerful way of praying? O Lord, listen to me and act. He goes on to say this. Do not delay. I tell you, I've never prayed that way in my life. I never said to God, listen to me. I have prayed to God with the expectation he will listen. He says, listen to me and act and do not delay for your own sake and for your city and your people who are called by your name. You see this great urgency and the great attitude uh, of urgency by Daniel as he approaches God. Listen, act, do not delay. And so we want to think about the area of prayer, and we want to think about the area of evangelistic praying this morning. So I'm going to ask you, you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, And the first point in evangelistic praying is to pray for workers. You know, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing that the Bible tells us uh, that in the Old Testament, God had already chosen the workers that he would have. He would have the Levites from the tribe of Levi. They would be his spiritual workers in the nation of Israel. You would have prophets that would be raised up as well. But in those places, God raises the prophets up. There's never a passage I can think of where it ever says, pray to the Lord that he would raise up more prophets, or pray to the Lord that he would raise up more tribes, that he would have more workers. When you go to the old, when you go to the, 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 uh, the tribulation period, and you go to Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14, you see God has raised up 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And we have 144,000 workers, laborers, those who are serving God during the tribulation period. So during the dispensation of, of the law, we see God has already set out those who would be his workers. In the tribulation period, he has already set out those who would be his workers. But when you come to the age of grace, something interesting takes place. In the age of grace, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. Now, the Lord goes out and chooses the 12. The Lord also goes out and chooses the 70. And that's the context of the passage we have here. But then he also says this, 
during the chair change, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Something very unique in biblical history. Look with me at chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and he sent them out two by two before his face to every city where he himself would come. And he said to them, the harvest is truly great and the labors are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. I think this is one of the first ways we can be engaged in evangelistic uh, praying, praying for workers. He says here in this passage, the workers are few, and I think we could say the same thing today. We need more workers, and the Bible tells us to pray for those. You know, there are, uh, not only do we need to pray for workers, I think we need to pray for evangelists. I think we have less and less evangelists than we ever had before. I remember meetings, special meetings of evangelists coming in for a week, sometimes Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, but we see them, we would see them coming and preaching. In some cases, some got saved. Uh, we almost never see that today. We almost never see the work of an evangelist in the local church today. We need to pray for that. Now, there may be evangelists, uh, to be honest, in assemblies, I, I don't know too many that are predominantly evangelists. I know those who preach the gospel, but those who would call themselves evangelists, there's not that many that are doing that kind of work. And so we need to pray for that. We need to pray for God to raise up those kinds of people to doing that kind of work. We need to pray for Bible teachers. We need more Bible teachers. Recently, Randy Amos passed on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was a great Bible teacher. He was a preeminent Bible teacher, and uh, I've had the privilege of knowing him a little bit when he lived in New Jersey, and then at other times as well. We need to pray for Bible teachers. We need to pray for different kinds of workers. We need to pray for missionaries that would go to the mission field, and we need to pray for those who even are church planters who would go out and start new works in different places. So here in this passage, he says, part of evangelistic praying is praying for workers. Sometimes I see workers going into the work that are older. They've retired or taken an early retirement uh, a couple of years early, and they go into uh, serving the Lord in some capacity. We have in our assembly a man who was a pharmacist who uh, took a couple of year uh, reti early retirement. I believe he was 54 when he retired, and uh, he goes to Africa about six or seven months of the year. He's not doing that, of course, right now. He's home, uh, but he wants to go to Africa and help orphanages. He's not a preacher. He's not a, a Bible teacher, but he's a practical guy who goes and helps orphanages he uh, gets on a little motorbike, and he'll go out into villages, and he will show the Jesus film remarkably on uh, his cell phone and a very small, powerful projector, and uh, just amazing. Uh, he has uh, the Jesus film, I think, in, in 30, 40 languages, 
But anyway, he's a he's an older gentleman that retired. He's a little bit younger than I am now, but he's gone to the mission field. We see that from time to time. We see retired men and women uh, going to the Lord's work. But what we need, I think, is we need to pray for young people at the beginning of their working careers, young people to go and serving the Lord. Those who are 20, 25, 26, 27. Hudson Taylor was 27 years old when he went to, uh, when he went to China. Many of the great missionaries were in their 20s uh, when they went into the Lord's work. William Borden, a missionary uh, to India, he, uh, he was in his, in his 20s when he went into the Lord's work. Anthony Norris Groves was in his 20s when he went into the Lord's work. Uh, we, we need to see more of this. We need to pray that God might raise up younger workers uh, to give themselves in a full-time capacity. It's difficult today. The financial pressures are difficult, and, uh, but we need to pray. Uh, pray for those who might be raised up uh, to go into the Lord's work in one capacity or another. So in this first passage, we see exhortation is for us to pray for workers to go into the Lord's work. It says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers into his harvest. Another passage tells us the harvest, the harvest is white. Uh, the harvest is white under harvest. It's ready to be reaped. And uh, I do see a little bit. I do see some people coming to the Lord. And uh, there may be places where the harvest is ready and we need people to go into the, world, the, the Lord's work and serve him. Let's take our Bibles and look at another area that we can pray for in evangelistic praying. And turn with me over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says in that passage, Paul is writing, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Uh, here he's asking the Thessalonians to pray for his ministry as he goes forth and preaches and uh, the responsibility we will have to pray for those who are laboring, pray for those who are engaged, it may be a local assembly in another area, it may be a missionary, it may be a worker, but he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Now, let me read that same verse in the NIV. In the NIV, it reads this, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. The idea of being honored that uh, men and women would be saved, come to faith uh, just as was with you. So what a tremendous thing we can pray for. We can pray for a missionary. We can pray for those in a certain area that have a gospel effort going on. We can pray for those who may be going out and doing some gospel work 
maybe a gospel team that, that we know about. And we can pray for them, and we can pray that the message of the Lord, that the gospel would spread rapidly, that it would have great blessing in short period of time. What a great thing to pray for. And that it does happen sometimes. As you pray for a work, sometimes in God's, in God's sovereignty, in God's will, we see, we see God working in a tremendous way. And this is something we can pray for. You know of a missionary, you know of a worker, you know of um, a situation where there's gospel work and the word is being spread. You can pray that God would spread that work, the gospel would spread and souls would be saved. Allow me to tell you a story. Years ago, when we were first married, Faith and I were first married, we lived in a place called Oxford, Pennsylvania. It was on the edge of um, Lancaster County uh, in Pennsylvania. It was an Amish town, <clears throat> a little bit of an Amish town, and uh, you could uh, drive up to the bank and see a horse and buggy um, uh, tied to a rail uh, in that town going into the same bank. But there was a woman. She was, at that time, she was probably a little older. She might be in her late 60s. And um, I'm not uh, disparaging anybody in their late 60s. Uh, but she was in her late 60s, and she had a neighbor across the hall. And she had a burden that she could have a one-to-one -one Bible study with her. And so she went across the hall and knocked on the door. This woman, the believer that I am referring to, her name was was Sarah. And so Sarah went across the hallway, knocked on the door, and her friend Louise opened the door. And she said to her, she said, would you like to come over to my home for a little Bible study and then have lunch afterwards once a week? And Louise said, yes, she would like to do that. And so she came over. And Sarah was no real evangelist. Sarah was just a, a wonderful, committed, lovely Christian I'm not sure she ever had home Bible studies before, but she began to just open the Bible and have a little Bible study with her neighbor and have lunch together. And in the course of time, Louise got saved. It was a wonderful thing. And Louise was a beautiful Christian. I, I knew Louise and I knew, uh, I, I knew Sarah. And uh, she got saved. She started coming out to the chapel. And she got fully engaged in all of the different activities of the chapel. And Louise had five children. She had um, two sons and three daughters. And she began to share the gospel with these, these uh, children of hers. And all of the children got saved. In turn, all of the spouses got saved. So that's 11 Louise and the five children and spouses, it's 11 people that got saved through the efforts of Sarah. In time, the older teenagers of these children, of these uh, adult children who are married, some of them got saved. About five of them got saved. And then there was a, uh, there's a town-wide tent meeting uh, that was arranged and uh, a number of more of friends that they had, they came and they got saved. That little assembly, uh, prior to all of this, was about 40 or 50 people. At that crusade, we brought 
the most people of any church in that town. We brought 90 people, unsaved people, to that crusade. I say all of that to say this, that it's good to pray that the word of God would spread rapidly. It can do that. It can spread through a community, through one person, one home Bible study, one situation, one-to-one Bible study. And so Paul gives this exhortation. He says to them, brethren, pray for us as we share the gospel that it might spread rapidly. It might have free course and be honored just as it was with you. We can pray that whole families might be saved. We, have a, we had a home Bible study here. A, a housewife came. You know probably you've met them all. Nicole Mintner lived next door to us. She came out to a Bible study. She got saved. Her son, Jared, got saved. Maddie got saved. Troy got saved. And lastly, her husband got saved. A whole family got saved and are going on for the Lord today. And God can work through whole families. And so we need to pray for that. We pray that the gospel would advance swiftly, and God will use the efforts of those who are preaching the gospel uh, to to the saving of souls. Turn with me to another passage. Turn to the book of Acts and chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we have this tremendous passage where the early believers began to preach and teach the word of God. The authorities came to them and told them and threatened them not to speak any, any further in this name. And uh, they threatened them with bodily harm and beatings. And in verse 23, it says they were let go. And they went back to their own company and told them, reported about all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted up their voice to God. And they said, it's interesting, as they pray, they say this. They lift up their voice to God and said with one accord, Lord, thou art God who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. He says, you are sovereign. You can do everything. There's nothing that is too hard for you. There's nothing too small for you. You can do all that is needed to be done. You are are God. And then they go on in their prayer, and they mention about David in his day and those who opposed him, and those who had persecuted David in his day. Why do the nations rage and imagine a vain thing? The kings, of the, earls, the kings of the earth rose up, and the rulers gathered. Also, the Lord Jesus experienced persecution. In verses 26 and 27, the rulers rose up against the Lord and against his Christ So we see they begin to recount different times that there were persecution in times past. And they say, Lord, thou art God. But notice what they pray for. They pray to the Lord and say, you are God. 
they leave the situation in God's hands. They leave the situation of persecution in God's hands. But what he says is this. Look with me down at verse 29. They say, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. The one thing they ask for, they say to the Lord, Lord, you know all about the threatenings. You know all about the persecution. Thou art God. We ask for one thing. That's boldness. Grant thy servants boldness to speak thy word. What a challenging thing to me. When I speak to you, I'm speaking to myself that I might have greater boldness, that I would have the Lord might give me boldness as I share the word of God. And may the Lord do that in your life. And may we pray for that for others. The Lord would give believers boldness. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul prays to the believers and he says that, 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 that they would pray for him, that they would have boldness, that he would have boldness in prison. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19, and he, he says he prays for boldness that he might speak the word boldly. Same thing in this passage. He says, Lord, grant thy servants, Lord, grant thy servants boldness that they might speak thy word. Sarah Tall knocked on that door. She had boldness. We go in the neighbor that we would have boldness. That we invite someone that we would have boldness. Last Friday night, we had a youth meeting at the chapel. It was a hayride and it was a, a bonfire and we made s'mores Anyway, there was a family that came. It was a friend. It was a friend of Claire Campbell's, Nathan and Aaron's daughter. This girl was from school. She went up to her and asked her if she would want to come to her church youth group. She knew a little bit about the girl's background. The mother, the family is going through, the mother is going through a divorce. It's a very difficult time. That family came, the mother came, and the daughter came, and the son came. They came to the hayride, they came to the bonfire, they came and heard the message. And after it was over, at, at, at 8.30, they stayed and talked probably another 45 minutes. Boldness, you never know what's going to happen. When you go up to someone and say, would you come to this event? Would you come to a Bible study? Would you come? Will, will, are you interested in coming to a youth group? You never know what's going to happen in the life of that person. That person wasn't saved, but I feel there was a connection. I felt like there was a need in their lives. And, and as we pray, we just trust the Lord to do a work in that, the lives of those, those individuals. So Paul prays for boldness. Look at the last verse of verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word with boldness. It seems like they were filled, and then they went out to where the unsaved were at, and they spoke the word with boldness. 
So things we can do, evangelistic praying. We pray for workers. We pray for the gospel to spread rapidly. We pray for boldness. Turn with me over to the book of Colossians in chapter 4. Book of Colossians and chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. In this verse, it says this, Praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. In this passage, the mystery of Christ is simply the gospel, the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage, he prays, and it's, this is a prison epistle, so the apostle is in prison, and he says this. He says, pray for us that we would have an open door, that we would have somehow the Lord give us an opening, a place to start, and, and a, a foothold somehow into sharing the gospel in this place. Something to pray about. He says, pray for us that we would have an opening we would have a place of inroad, an inroad for the gospel in this place to speak the mystery of Christ, to speak the gospel. That is something we can pray for. We think about our own work. Think of the work in, at Claremont Bible Fellowship. Think of the work of those on the mission field. Uh, think of the work wherever it may be, that God would give an inroad, that God would give an open door to be able to share the gospel so that people can be saved. In the early 30s, Lester Wilson, who started, I think, seven or eight assemblies in North Carolina and in Georgia, um, he would always, when he would start, when he would go into a new area, he would always go to the radio station. And when he'd ask if he could have five minutes or 10 minutes on a couple of opportunities, he would share the gospel and he would invite them to tent meetings or meetings in a warehouse and people would come. That was the open door. Today, we can't do that so much, but we can pray for an open door. It might be a home Bible study. It might be a one-to-one -one Bible study. It, it, it might be youth work, whatever it may be. Say, Lord, give us an open door of utterance. Open to us a door, an inroad, an opportunity, some area where the gospel could now spread because of that open door and that opportunity. Something to pray for. This is what we can pray for missionaries for. This is what we can pray for ourselves for. I want to tell you a, a, a story. I want to mention a story to you about C.I. Schofield. Uh, you may have a Schofield reference Bible. And C.I. Schofield was a lawyer in the St. Louis area. Uh, after he got saved through the one-to-one -one witness of a fellow lawyer, uh, his life radically changed, began to study the Bible, began to really get, uh, gain a real knowledge of the scriptures. And he wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted to uh, work at a, a church. And he had heard through a friend that there was an opening at, uh, 
at a small congregationalist church in Dallas, Texas. There were 11 people there, one man and 10 women. And uh, he had served, he had served uh, in the Civil War. He was from the North and uh, he had a difficulty right after the Civil War in Dallas, Texas. He had difficulty seeing that work get established. He was seen as a foreigner. He began to pour his heart into that work. He, he worked and labored as much as he possibly could, and he just was not seeing any results. One morning, after preaching to the 11 people, he said this to them. He said, if anyone is interested in opening their home for a cottage meeting, a cottage prayer meeting, he called it, a home Bible study, Come to me, and I'd love to go into that home, and I'd love to have a prayer meeting with the people that are there. There was silence. No one raised their hand. Complete silence. He waited, and he waited. And finally, a young boy who was visiting that morning for the first time. He had just walked in. He raises his hand, and he says, my mother, my mother would love to have you come and have a meeting in our house. He said, I'll be there. Give me the address. I will be there. They had the date, the address, and he went there. As he went there, he found that that home was a small home above the largest saloon in Dallas, Texas. The father of this young boy was a saloon owner. And as he walked up to the house, his heart just sank. He said, this is going to be a waste of time. This is, this is, nothing's going to come out of this. He goes to the house and knocks on the door. The little boy comes, then he, he gets his mother. They explain who he is. Immediately, they run around to the neighbors and knocking doors all through the neighborhood. They get 30 people that come into that little drawing room. They're packed in, and he begins to preach the gospel. After it's over, the mother says to him, I want you to come back. And he came back a number of times. The mother got saved. The son got saved. In time, over a two-year period, the husband, the saloon owner, he got saved. And that was the beginning. That was the inroad. That was the open door. Eventually, that little church of 11 people, before C.I. Schofield left, it was 550 people. It was a tremendous work of God because of an open door, because of the, the, uh, uh, the invitation to have a cottage meeting. We can pray for something like that. Pray for open doors, whatever it may be. An open door today may be very look very different than it did in the days of C.I. Schofield or to pray for an open door in the gospel. I want to close with this last point, praying for individual believers. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Number one, we should pray for people. It is said that George, George Mueller had a prayer list of 80 unsaved people. And he would pray for them. As one got saved, he would add another to the list. 
we should pray for unsaved people. The Apostle Paul says, my desire or my prayer is that all Israel would be saved. We should be praying for unsaved people. In this passage in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's a verse that I quoted earlier. It begins and it says, I exhort you therefore that first of all, or first importance, that prayers, the supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks should be made for all men, for kings, those in authority. But then he continues this passage. Notice he says in verse 1, should be made for all men. He mentions those in authority. But then as he drops down, as we drop down to verse 3, this is good. What is good? It's good to pray for all men. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What does he mean by praying for all men? I think he means praying for the salvation of all men. He prays for the kings, but he also prays in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. This is the context, praying for all men, intercessions, supplications, giving of thanks. And then he says this, who would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, who gave himself a ransom for all tells us here to pray for all men. This last verse, verse 5, it says that the Lord Jesus is a ransom for all men. The last thing we should do in evangelistic praying is pray individually for people that you know. Keep on praying for them. Maybe have a prayer list. Pray for them. Invite them to a home Bible study. We have a neighbor on the, on the other side of our house. Uh, she's a Filipino lady, and uh, she has come to a one-to-one -one Bible study with my wife, Faith, and she's gotten saved, but her husband is not saved. We pray for him. We've been praying for him for a long time, and um, as, as often as we have opportunity, we pray for him. Before COVID came, uh, back in January and February, we had a home Bible study. Uh, every other Saturday night, we had a dinner, and we had a home Bible study. And he wouldn't come to the dinner, but he would come to the home Bible study. We would eat for a while, and he would knock on the door, and he would come in. He came in the first time, and I thought to myself, this is fantastic. We've been praying for this man. Great opportunity. We're studying the book of Mark. We asked him questions, and he answered a number of the questions, and he read some of the scripture. And, uh, and I thought to myself, that's great. Uh, maybe he won't come back again. He, he came one time. Two weeks later, we had our Bible study. We invited him. Again, he didn't come to the dinner, but he came to the Bible study. I believe he came four times before we stopped the Bible study because of COVID. And we've had opportunities with him, and I pray for his salvation and uh, maybe he will get saved. We, we hope to restart that Bible study sometime in the future, uh, and I just trust that this man 
uh, will get saved. We need to pray for the unsaved. Invite them to a one-to-one Bible study. Invite them to have coffee, whatever it might be. But one of the great ways uh, to pray evangelistically is pray for unsaved individuals you know. So let me recap. Pray for workers that will be sent out into the work. Pray the gospel would advance swiftly. Pray for boldness. Pray for open doors. And pray for individuals that might be saved. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. And we thank you, Father, for for the opportunity we can have to pray evangelistically. And so, Father, we pray that you will use us in a time where we can't get together as much as we we once did. Uh, Help us to pray evangelistically. And so, Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.